Hi, everybody, and welcome to this week's edition of Tellage Talks. Jimmy Hanlon is the guy that I had an opportunity to sit down with and chat about his career. You've seen him on TV. He's helped so many people with their golf game, tremendously entertaining, a great guy with a positive outlook who wears those wild uh, golf pants, which is kind of his statement, but there, again, is so much more to Jimmy Hanlon than just that. He's an entrepreneur. He is a man who owns his own production company that has been putting out television shows surrounding the game of golf for quite some time. He's an Emmy Award winner. He's won the Northern Ohio PGA Golf Professional of the Year Award. There's lots of stuff that Jimmy Hanlon has done, and it was just great to sit down with Jimmy and chat about his career, his life, how he got into golf, how he started his businesses, how he came to be a part of a group that is owning golf properties, and a whole bunch of other things as well. Super guy, hope you like it. Jimmy Hanlon, here on Tellich Talks. Jimmy Hanlon, great to have you on the podcast, and I'm really curious as to the origins of Jimmy Hanlon, golf media superstar specialist. Where did that? Where did all that begin? You know, it's kind of a funny story, John. It it, it was, you know, I started um, as a guest on a radio show on ESPN Cleveland in like 2001, and the general manager Errol Dengler called me right afterwards and. He actually said, you know, where have you done radio before? And I said, oh, that's the first time I think I've ever been on radio <laughs> in my life, honestly. And he said, hey, will you come down again? We'd like to have you as a guest next week. Well, little did I know, Errol was really testing me to see if it was just a one-off. And and so uh, afterwards, um, he called me and said, hey, we'd love to have you co-host our golf show on ESPN Cleveland. You know, this is what we can pay. You want to do it? And I'm like, sure. You know, so it honestly happened that way. And then... Um, then uh, some of the, a lot of the, the news stations, as you know, through the time, they'll ask to do like golf tips yes. and so on and so yeah. forth. So um, some of the stations, Tony Rizzo there on Fox 8 and and uh, Mike Karens was on Channel 3. And so uh, every once in a while they call me to do golf tips. And I think they try to use a lot of other golf pros in the area. And eventually they just end up coming back to me because I just felt comfortable doing it. And so, uh, so that gave me a little exposure on television and I was on the radio. Uh, and then all of a sudden, when uh, Paul Dolan decided to start his own television network, uh, Sports Time Ohio, um, Pat Kilkenny, which is yep. still the program director at Sports Time Ohio and Fox Sports and head of programming, uh, came to me and said, hey, Mr. Dolan wants to do a uh, an outdoor show and a golf show, and Darcy Egan's going to do the outdoor show, and, and we'd love for you to host a golf show. And I'm like, I'm in. Let's do it. What do we do? So that show was called Teed Up Ohio, and Mike Karens and I bounced all over the state of Ohio and just enjoyed golf courses and people and checked it out and as that time went on it went from one golf show i think by the time mr dolan sold the network it was uh it was four or five golf shows by the time because they were successful and people were enjoying them so that's really how it got off the ground how much leeway did you get you had pat kilkenny you, you know you had some of the bosses but how much leeway did you get yeah it was really good i mean they they were always great if i had an idea or they were always coming up with ideas the positive thing for me is the people at sports time ohio you, you, jim libertor and mike roche and pat kilkenny and all the guys that were there they were all golfers so they enjoyed what what we were doing so they wanted more and the first show teed up ohio didn't have a lot of instruction in it. Well, what they found out when they got feedback from the people they were watching is they wanted more instruction they wanted me to give more golf tips so that just kind of flew into me you know branching off and doing other sub shows like that which worked out good and then what we really found out is the more cleveland celebrities that we got involved 
the more they really enjoyed seeing a guy like Kevin Mack or Mike Hargrove or Austin Carr hit a golf ball, you know, and they're like, wow, we got to do some shows with some of our teams and their athletes and their players. So that kind of spun off into more golf stuff. And uh, before I know it, uh, you know, I, I think I've, at times I'm on the, I'm on Sports Time Ohio more than the actual Cleveland Indians. <laughs> yeah, the shows are on a lot, you know, and it's been great. It's been it's been really super. It's been cool to see you work with some of the different athletes and then to try to help them with their with their golf game. Yeah, yeah. Everybody has delusions about how well they play this game. Don't yeah, they? <laughs> they sure do. Well, you you witness it in the Media Rider Cup yeah. every year that yeah, I, I just um, But uh, yeah, it it is fun. You see a different person on the golf course. So when you're out on the golf course, uh, it's not always that person that you see uh, either out at a dinner or at a business meeting or out on a basketball court or a football field. So you really get to experience something. But I think what surprises me most is these guys, the professional athletes. Um, they really pick the game up quickly because they're athletic. Athletes, yeah. yeah and, and they just figure it out. Now, whether they do it fundamentally perfect, that's always in question. Um, but I've been so fortunate through the years to be able to do shows with people that, honestly, John, when I grew up, I would have never thought I would have ever met any of them. Like, really? even got to, like, say hi to them, let alone be on camera with them and host shows. It's just, it's been really cool. Where did you grow up, and how about the origins of your connection to the game of golf? So, I grew up in Steubenville, Ohio. Okay. And uh, my father uh, worked in the steel mills, and my mother was a nurse. And um, I was always – I played everything. So I, I played uh, football, basketball. You have to play football. You grew oh. up in Steubenville, right? Yeah. So I played football, basketball, baseball. Um, but I grew up near a golf course. And um, my father worked for the sheriff's department part-time, and his partner owned the golf course down the road. And he said to him one day – I was honestly six years old or seven years old. He said, hey, just drop Jimmy off. Let him putt around a putting green and do whatever. And I don't think I ever left after that. I mean, he he would drop me off. And I eventually I started working at the golf course. You know, I would start cleaning up tees or doing whatever it was. And then till baseball games at 5 o'clock, and my parents would pick me up, drive me to the baseball game. And that's the different world these days. I mean, I'd leave the house at 7 in the morning, and I literally wouldn't get home until it was dark. And it went golf and then either basketball or golf, baseball, or whatever sport was going on at that time. And so it was all kind of um, unstructured. Yeah. For them. And, and that's kind of what's missing. A lot of kids nowadays, they're either in, in a, a, a structured league, and it's a travel league, and everything's – you got to wear your uniforms. Yeah. You just, when we were kids, you kind of just went out and you played all day. You found as many kids as you could find, right? You picked teams, you yeah, know? Yeah. And that's really how it was. I mean, for me, golf-wise, I mean, I, I had a few, uh, I had a golf pro there at the golf course, and he used to give me tips and help me a little bit, but he was working. You didn't have a lot of time to give free golf lessons. Yeah, you get know, this kid out of my yeah, way. Yeah, yeah, right. So, yeah, it really did. But honestly, all the way up until I was uh, a senior, mid into late into my senior year, I really didn't know whether I was, what I was going to go to college to do. I was a successful baseball in baseball um uh had a nice basketball career in high school and so and but then golf was i was kind of a late bloomer my senior year in golf i had a really nice senior year and so what i decided to do was go to a smaller school where i could try to play um multiple sports so i went to a school called methodist university okay um and the reason i went there is because it had this program there was only three in the country at the time it was called professional golf management so you could go learn about the world of golf and become a golf professional afterwards. It was kind of a specialty. So I decided to go there uh, and it was in Fayetteville, North Carolina. And, and I went there and I, I played one semester of golf and four years of basketball. It ended up happening. So uh, I just, you know, I, I developed a relationship with my basketball coach there. He was a great guy. 
Um, I you know, had some success in it. Now I played golf every day. We had golf course on down campus. there, in yeah, North Carolina. I played my every Lord. day, every day, and I still went to the through the professional golf management program. Um, but it, uh, you know, I, I really, um, you know, I enjoyed playing playing basketball. You know, I enjoyed it, and I actually went and and uh, pitched for the baseball team for a semester too. So I really enjoyed that ability to still kind of do what I was doing in college in yeah. high school. You know, play all the sports and just enjoy them for what they were. You know. Where did the golf management then come in for you? You took classes down there in Fayetteville. Yeah. Uh, but when did you actually get your first taste of managing a course and then thinking about, boy, I could even own one someday? Yeah, well, you know, what happened was when I got out of college, I had the degree. So Pinehurst is, is right there near where we were at, the, the golf mecca. So I went and I got my first job there in Pinehurst as an assistant pro. And and so right out of college, that's what I did. And, they go literally. I'm not joking. You, I, I was. I think it was a thousand dollars a month was my salary and whatever lessons that I could give. It wasn't a lot of money, but it was heaven. We played golf five, six days a week. During that time, I played so much golf, and I just focused on golf at that time. I was 22. My game went to a way different level, and I started playing just really good and being very competitive and winning golf tournaments like crazy. And I think at one point I had five course records in Pinehurst at one point, so my game really uh, got sharp. Um, so the members at the club that I was at started this whole fund and sent me out to play golf for a living. They yeah. said, listen, you, you know, we want to give this young kid an opportunity. So they gave me an opportunity um, and they gave me the, the money to be able to go out and do that and leave being an assistant pro. So I did that for about three and a half years and, and had some success. But what I realized is how good they really are out there. Yeah. You know, I mean, they were I mean, I, you know, it's four days of really good golf to be competitive out there. And I could shoot the good scores and I could shoot 63 and 64. But could I do it over four days? And, and the other thing was, you know, again, as I told you, growing up, you know, my father didn't play golf. I didn't have anybody. It was foreign I, to him. Yeah, I had these nice people that could tell me, gave me the money, but no one really gave me any direction of where to even go play the mini tours or or who to go work with or what to do. And so I kind of figured it out on my own, and I would never, I would do it all over again. It was a great four years of my life. Um, but at one point, I just got smart, and I said, okay, listen, I, I'm not going to be um, – you know, a playing professional for the rest of my life. And so I need to, uh, I need to figure out what I want to do next before I get too old and, you know, and what happens. Uh, and one of my teaching professionals names, Danny Ackerman, Danny okay. grew up in Wheeling, West Virginia, and he got the golf professionals job under uh, CCA, which owns Firestone now and Quail Hollow. He got it at Quail Hollow up in Paintsville. He said, why don't you come to Cleveland with me for a summer and play golf and work a little bit and figure out what you want to do. And I came to Cleveland in 1997, and I'm still here. Wow. <laughs> yeah, still here. Yep. And and so you were in those three and a half to four years where it dawned on you one time or over a course of a period of time that, wow, this is incredibly taxing. Yep. It's difficult. Very few can make it. What happens to some of these other guys that just keep playing and they, they just – other opportunities don't come to them yeah. or, or or they just think this is the I'm, I'm going to hit it one of these days one of these days I'm going to make that win that tournament and go from there I, I think you hit it on the head some of them feel like it's just going to happen and it does for some for you know, some. some of these guys you know Dustin Johnson even you know drug it out for a little while and really you know some of these guys you know they get into their 30s before they're successful um, and I just really wasn't willing to take that chance and and again for me it was I was kind of out there by myself I didn't have people helping me make this, the right decision so I just for some reason thought it was time for me to and I actually once I came to Cleveland 
um, played some really good golf for a couple of years after that. I mean, and, and had a lot of guys here in Cleveland that were like, Hey, listen, let's send you back out there. Let's go. And I just knew it wasn't, uh, wasn't for me. You know, I mean, I love to travel and I love to play golf, but I, you know, I probably, you know, I, I like people. Mm-hmm. My life is people. I like being around people and I enjoyed, uh, you know, being a PGA professional at a golf course and that's kind of the direction it went. How was it for you as a young PGA professional when you were giving people lessons? Um, what you know, what things did you impart from what they wanted you to teach them, or, or parts of their games and things of that nature? Well, that's where I was very fortunate. So when I did play golf for a living, I got to work with some of the best teachers in okay. the world. You know, I mean, I was very fortunate to be around guys like Jim McLean and guys that are big name teachers, um, because I did have some talent. So some guys would grab me and 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 you know try to help me from a golf swing standpoint. Okay. And so I mean, how lucky is that? I mean, 25 years old, getting to work with some of the best teachers you know in in the country. And so for me, it made me a better teacher, and I didn't even know it. I had no yeah. idea. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm listening to these guys, and not only am I listening to them give me golf lessons, I'm listening to them before and after teach, you know, <laughs> 57, 80, 67, 80-year-old men how to play golf and women how to play golf and grandmas. And so all of a sudden, I, I come out, and, um, and I start to get back into the world of giving golf lessons, and, you know, and I could relate to all these people because I'd had, I'd had a lot of background in it and didn't even know it. So let's get to the point now, Jimmy, where you actually get into ownership and running courses. And how, how did that all evolve? So I was at Quail for a couple of years. Um, and there's a golf course called Longenberger, which is in Columbus. It's been okay. the number one public golf course in the state for a long, long time. And so Danny got the Danny Ackerman got the position as the director of golf there and asked me to go with him. Um, at that same time, they were just building Little Mountain. So the owners of Little Mountain had come to me and said, hey, we've always thought of you as a person that we would want to be our, our first head pro at Little Mountain. So if you'll stay, um, we'll start paying you now. Stay with us here. And uh, we're a year away before the golf course opens, but you can help us sell lots and you can see the golf course grow in and do all those types of things. So that's what I did. I stayed, you know, for my first opportunity. It was kind of funny. I mean, I took a job at a golf course with no grass. Yeah, you know? right. And it was like... <laughs> Okay, here we go, you know. And But I got to see, again, John, I kind of fell into stuff. I got to see the benefits of the business and working with Huntington Bank on finishing a project. And, and you know, and unfortunately at that time, that project with, with those current owners, you know, they had an owner that had a stroke and it, and it went bankrupt. Um, and so during that time, I got to be a part of all of that, which to me at the time, being 28 or 29 years old, I thought was life ending you know it was awful but what i really did was i learned a lot you know i learned a lot about the business side of golf and and how revenues have to affect affect expenses and how you have to do all these types of things so i just again kind of fell into a spot where i learned and i didn't even know i was learning and i think that was key and so after that um uh, a couple individuals um, purchased um, Little Mountain, uh, Steve Calabrese and Rick Osborne, and they did it more from the development side okay. of it. So um, they owned Little Mountain for about two or three years, and I stayed on as their golf professional. And, and I ended up developing a really close relationship with uh, a, a gentleman named Steve Calabrese. He's a he's a real estate developer in downtown Cleveland um, and very successful, and, and his boys started to get into golf. So um, when Mr. Osborne wanted to get out, um, they had built me a house at Little Mountain. That's how they kept me there. Because so, gotcha. I was starting to get some offers from private clubs. Hey, I was we got this house, into, buddy. Yeah, I was getting into TV. So they built me a house. They said, here's the deal. We'll build you a house at cost, and you're going to have a lot of equity into it. And, and if you'll stay with us, that's better than any raise that, a, that another golf course can give you. So I'm like, so I said, yeah, yeah, let's do that. So when it was time to 
to uh, Mr. Osborne wanted out, uh, Steve Calabrese came to me and said, hey, I know you have some equity in your home, you know, and if you want to buy in and become a, a partner at Little Mountain, I'll stay with you and let's keep this place going. And that's how the first one started. And uh, I just kind of rolled from there. And, and it's really all just been about relationships for me, you know, creating yes. relationships through those times. And, and uh, uh, it, it led me to be able to uh, buy that golf course. And then, you know, really the relationships with other people in the banks led me to, for Mr. Calabrese and a couple other partners and I to be able to become a part of Stonewater and, mm-hmm. uh, and purchase Stonewater eventually. And, uh, so that's, that's how it is. Now I'm, I'm in good or bad or, or whatever <laughs> I'm in now. <laughs> so what are some of the pitfalls of ownership? You know, what, what are the things that keep you up at night? Well, I, you know, the golf is tough and clean, yeah. you know, I mean, weather, believe it or not, keeps sure. me up at night as much as I love Betsy Kling and Jason Nicholas and <laughs> all my great weather friends. Uh, it, uh, uh, it becomes, uh, you know, it's it's we can't control it, and yeah. it directly uh, affects our our revenues here at the golf course. Um, golf, when I got into it, you know, you're like I was the guy that bought the house when the housing market was as high as it could be. Well, that's what happened with me. You know, I mean, we bought the golf courses when the world of golf was really good, and now the world of golf has changed, and you're having to be more creative to do what you do, and um, you know, memberships that used to cost. $15,000 to join a club are now free if you just start paying dues. Gotcha. So those things have changed a little bit, but it's been a challenge. Um, but again, through that time, I've been able to meet other people and you know, we have some new partners, uh, the Nidus family that's involved here, and we've got to be creative and do different things and try to stay ahead of the curve. And and, and it's it's been good. It's, it's fun. It's probably taken a few... Uh, put a few gray hairs and, and taken a few years off my life, but it's been, uh, I love it. And, and you, and you know, you're around me enough to know that I just like to be around people that love to play golf and, and, and just enjoy it, whether it's making fun of them or making them better. I like doing both, you know, so that's fun. So where did all the wild clothes come from? <laughs> that's a good question. you know, I don't even know if I could really, um, <laughs> answer that. Like I just started, you know, when I was started in tele, probably before television, probably okay. early in the two thousands. Um, Maybe even going back farther than that, there's a gentleman, Ned Weaver. He's our golf professional here at Stonewater. He's an original Ohio State guy, or Ohio guy. Went to Kent State. Ned was Kent State's first All-American in oh, wow. golf here under Herbie Page. Herbie so, Page. And, and uh, Ned's always had some kind of funky styles there. And uh, <laughs> I remember when I was an intern working for him in college, uh, our uniforms would be red pants and striped shirts. And so I kind of just kind of kept it going a little bit. But then once... I got to Cleveland, I think it just kind of just expanded, you know, and, and it's a great conversation piece for me. You know, people, it, it's kind of funny now, John, like people actually, I, multiple people today that I saw were disappointed in me because I had like, you know, I had, yeah, I mean, I, today you've got like green, like, I, I know, but this is like, this looks yeah, like I could be working road construction. Yeah, you, this you do have the so, road construction. Right, right. This is a podcast, but yeah, it's, yeah. it's lime green. It's lime, lime green. green, but the pants are, yeah, know, they're pretty, yeah, generic. they're, they're pretty generic for me. People get disappointed if they don't see the wild clothes so it got to a point where i was like wow i gotta wear them all the time you know it's it's and i will tell you you know being on on air for i mean gosh i tell people now i my shows have been on longer than friends i've been on air for 13 years on on fox and sports time ohio and uh um if i go to an indians game in in a in a pair of jeans um you know i'll have 20 25 30 people recognize me if i wear a pair of red pants i can't even walk through the place i mean it's really what people know me as you know and it's it's fun and i I enjoy it i like it and and uh i've tried to change it up you know i went with the really crazy styles for a while and then john daly stole that from me and everybody else (laughs) went with it and then so then i try to mix it up try to go with the bright colors so i try to stay a little bit ahead of the curve but uh again i i i it's again it's fun conversation 
Uh, it's you know it gets people to love golf more hopefully because yeah. it's a little different than what you'd wear on the street and uh, uh, I don't know if you know when I show up to pick up my kids at school if they love when I have bright pink pants on. Like, could you just <laughs> not went home could first? Could you just you know? sit in the car and right, right, come to the right, car? Right, right, <laughs> But uh, but it's uh, it's been fun for me in that role. How has it been working with some pro athletes? As you mentioned, I'm, pro athletes are athletes, so yeah. there's there's a lot to work with there. But have there been some that have given you a little bit more trouble than others? Or? Yeah. Well, you know, because they're athletes, they've been very very successful in their sport. And I think at times some of them think that that's going to come that way in golf that easy, and it just it just doesn't happen. And um, so you know, again, our good friend Austin Carr is one of them. You know, AC is grinding it out, and he wants to get better every year. And he's so good at the game of golf. I mean, he's just a really good player, um, but he's always searching to be better, which is great. I think it's what makes this game so great. I, I don't know how old AC is, but you know, he's he's not a spring chicken anymore. Right. And and but he continues to get better at the game, you know, which which is great. And I think it's one sport that you can literally get into your 70s and still become a better golfer and a better player. Um, but he's been a good one. He's been a tough uh, student that I enjoy working with all the time. Um, Albert Bell, I've played I my share of bring, golf. I was yeah. just about to bring him up. Yeah, I play my fair share of golf with Albert, and uh, he's tough, man. He, he goes all the way back to the back tees and – and uh, he wants to play the golf course as hard as he can play it all the time, no matter what the weather is. And he just wants a challenge. And it doesn't matter whether he shoots 100 or if he shoots 75, he wants to be challenged as much as he can. And, and uh, But he's very good, too. Albert hits the ball very well and is a real student of the game. And I just, I just talked to him two days ago, and he was on his way to take a golf lesson. So yeah. he's trying to get better out there in Arizona. And, and uh, you know, he just he loves the game for sure. What are your thoughts on the state of the game of golf? We're talking about the upper echelons, the greats, yeah. the, the Rory's, you know, the the the, the dust DJs yeah, and what DJ, have yep. you. Never been that uh, high a concentration of great talent at the top of the fields. Yeah, and I don't know. And you, being in sports, could even maybe even tell me better because you've seen so much in other sports. I don't know if it's better to have Tiger at the top where everybody just, you know, we're all chasing one guy. It seemed to work really good for about yeah, 15 years. It did. Or whether it's better to have 10 guys like Ricky Fowler and Jordan Spieth and Dustin Johnson and Brooks Kepka and Justin Thomas that can all win at any time. And they're all different. You know, Brooks Kepka is a guy that kind of keeps to himself, and he's not really a flamboyant guy, but he's also going to tell you when he feels a certain way about something, where Justin Thomas is literally one of the nicest people I've ever met. He's funny. He's going to bust your chops. Every time I walk by him, he makes fun of me about something. He's just that kind of guy, and and I feel like a lot of his friends are like that. Ricky's like that. There are a lot of just fun, jovial kids that play golf for a living, you yeah. know. So they're all different. So you would think that that would be good for fans because they kind of match themselves up to the guy that they more like. But I, you know, I don't know. It just seems like the world of, of one guy, Tiger, and everybody right. chasing him seemed to make the game a little more popular. It was incredible at the Masters this year. Oh. Are we going to see something like that uh, in the future? It's the all about it. Years? It's all about his health, yeah. JT. You know, I mean, it really is. I mean, it's like, so I think that the where he will be able to compete the most will be at Augusta. Mm-hmm. Um, but Augusta cannot be 63 degrees and cool and rainy because his body just isn't equipped to handle that right now. He got very unlucky. They had poor weather at a lot of the major championships this year. Cool weather. Not good. Not good for his body. You know, it's just not good for him. He needs hot. He needs the ability to be able to stretch. And he doesn't need rain delays because he can't go in and out. I mean, he's showing up for tournaments four or five hours in advance to get his body prepared. Um, and I lived that working with Natalie Gulbis, too. Natalie's a 
you know, was a world-class player that um, has gone through three back surgeries now, and she shows up to the golf course three, four hours early just, just to literally have them work on her body to get it able to be able to swing a golf club as fast as she can. And so Tiger is doing that on a, on a, even on a different level. And so I think he can compete again. Mm-hmm. I think he can do what he did at Augusta, but it, it's, it, has to, it has to set up for him perfectly. Interested to get your thoughts on where you think the, the, the game of golf is going in terms of getting more people to the courses. You have a couple of courses here. Yep. Are there ways you get, obviously there's programs for kids in the inner cities. How, how, do, how do we solve that problem? Well, what are some of the ways? You know, I've seen more this year. We started a, pro- a membership program at Little Mountain where it was almost like the world of FitWorks, where we made it inexpensive, Okay. but the access is more like day of, couple days out instead of, you know, two weeks out. So we got a lot of people, we got a lot of families and we got a lot of a lot of ladies to start to play the game. A lot of moms that decided, hey, listen, let's go let's us four go and play golf and have a glass of wine and make the make the dads watch the kids. Because it wasn't a game for them to jump into that was incredibly expensive. You know, and so we created that atmosphere. That's worked very well for us at Little Mountain right now to create that. Uh, you know, and, and again, we've sold memberships where it was such a good deal that people haven't even picked their membership card up yet, and it's September. You know, it was just one of those things where it was great. Now, that doesn't work at Stonewater. That's a different animal there. It's a different, we're more corporately driven and more, yeah. uh, you know, higher-end memberly driven, member-driven. So I think you have to look at the facility, and you have to look at the, the area that you live around, and you really have to think hard and match up what they are. And you can't tell something what it is you have to really do research and find what it is and and so um i'm currently working on a project in westlake with the city of westlake right now um and uh if it you know gets all approved we're gonna uh you know design a new golf course with practice facility or whatever and it's really going to revolve around having tons of different options of of time you know if you have 45 minutes or 30 minutes here's something for you to do you can either hit a bucket of balls or you can go play three holes and it comes right back to the club oh, okay. or you can so we know that everybody doesn't have five hours to play golf uh where this golf course is is set there's a lot of young professionals people that they may have an hour but they're probably not going to have four or five so we're designing the facility around that and i think people have to be smarter than that in the world of golf they have to start thinking outside the box and really looking at their customer instead of saying this is how we're going to be and if they don't want to come and do it that way then they can't come and so i think the operators have to think a little different nowadays kind of like small chunks and like uh, today with young people and electronic devices yeah you know a lot of their content they I'm holding a phone, yeah, and that's right. where they would get much of theirs. So you have to design things that, that would be more amenable to that type of a, a device. Well, we're seeing golf carts now with speakers on it. You know, we're seeing golf carts with plugs so they can plug in their phones and stuff like that. So those are the types of things that, you know, it's it's a new world. It's a new type type of person. And it's, and it's in the online world. People are going to shop it. Yeah. Amazon's there. They shop everything now. So in the world of golf, they're going to shop you in the world of golf. And it's so funny, John. I tell people all the time, I see the, the millennials come in and they'll shop that that round of golf and they'll beat it down. They'll wait till the time pops down and it's only cost them $29 to play 18 holes in a cart. But then they'll go and throw their credit card down and buy a 12-pack of beer for $62. You know, I mean, <laughs> they're not shopping the beer, but they'll shop that golf down. And so that's really what I see in the world of golf is just being... <laughs> Uh, you know, just really fitting that customer, but knowing who it is. Again, that customer isn't here at Stonewater. We don't chase that person there, but we do chase them over at my other facility. And, and there's so many great, there's such great golf in Northeast Ohio, John. I mean, the golf courses are so amazing here. Yeah. We have the perfect 
weather conditions for about six months here where the grass is so good and the weather's so good. And so there's a lot of opportunity here in Northeast Ohio. Great chat. I enjoyed it, Jim. Thanks, man. Yeah, I sure appreciate you having me. I'm, I'll talk to you any day, man. You come here, I'm in. You just come sit at the bar with me a little mountain, I'm here. You got it. Thanks once again to Jimmy Hanlon. Had a great chat with him at Stonewater, one of those fine properties he has in Northeast Ohio. He talked also during the podcast about Little Mountain as well. Just tremendous uh, properties in Northeast Ohio that he is heavily involved in, and people get great satisfaction playing those courses. Also want to give you uh, some information about some guys that I have interviewed who are in the broadcast industry and want to give you a chance to maybe revisit those episodes and take a listen to them. Episode 25, my longtime colleague back in the 80s at Channel 8 in Cleveland, Vince Cellini, went on to network fame and continues to have a solid broadcasting career. That's episode 25, uh, my chat with uh, Vince Cellini. In episode 21, Andre Knott. You've seen him uh, reporting from the dugout Cleveland Indians broadcast. He just does a fantastic job with that. And of course, he's no stranger to working alongside athletes. He used to be the sideline reporter on the Cleveland Browns network, the radio network as well. And I'm very happy uh, to announce on this podcast, although our station has already done the announcement uh, in recent days, that Andre is now a member of the Fox 8 sports team. And so happy to have Andre on board with us. So listen to episode 21 to find out a little bit more about Andre Knott, the pride of Akron, St. Vincent, St. Mary. You know, they turned out other athletes besides LeBron James. Little joke there. And on episode 31, we talked to Rob Steger. He's the ultra marathoner who is running three straight 200 mile ultra marathon competitions, and he's doing them within the span of 60 days. Well, Rob finished the second leg of the Triple Crown of 200s very recently when he finished the Tahoe 200 out there in Lake Tahoe and uh, did a fantastic job, continues to raise money for uh, childhood pediatric uh, cancer research. And so a shout out to Rob, congratulations on finishing and good luck in the third leg. That's the Moab um, uh, competition. So he'll be going to that in a matter of a month or so. Rob is episode number 31. And this is a guy who could not even run a mile straight uh, when he began his running, quote, career, end quote. Uh, And then he was able to build his body up to the point where he could run more than a mile, and then obviously he's gone much further beyond those standards. So Rob is episode 31. And if you like the podcast, please subscribe, rate, give us five stars. We're on all of the different platforms, and we certainly appreciate any kind of feedback that you have on Tellage Talks. And without any further ado, we will say so long, folks, and we'll check you the next time on the next edition of Tellage Talks. Have a good one.